Our focus this morning, as I have said, will be on verse 5. But I'd like to briefly look at the context so that we remember where we are at. Remember that Paul has reminded the Cretans to be submissive to the ruling authorities in their life, whoever that may be. He goes on to tell them that they are to malign no one. That they are to be peaceable and gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And if they are to struggle to do so, he then reminds them that they were once like them in verse 3. He says this, For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and passions, spending our life in malice, envy, hating, hateful hating one another. So apart from Christ, this is the condition of us all. And Paul reminds them that if you're tempted to speak evil of others, if you're tempted to be quarrelsome often, remember who you once were. Remember that it is only by the appearing of what he says in verse 4. It's the appearing of the kindness of God. And it's His love that He has shown for us that has transformed us. That we were once like the world, but it's only because of God's mercy, because of His kindness towards us that we did not deserve by showing His great love for us that we are now different. Now we are His. It's only because of Christ dying for the ungodly, dying for the sinful, dying for the foolish. It's only by His kindness that we have been saved and that we are no longer like once we, what we once were. Verse 5 goes on to say that He saved us, not on the basis of deeds. So God didn't save you because you were a good person. He didn't save you because you were righteous. He didn't save you by, because of anything that you have done. And when he says, according to works of righteousness, he's talking about the law of Moses. It's not because of our keeping of the commandments that we are saved. So it's not by any work. It's not by baptism. It's not by reading your Bible. It's not by church attendance. It's not by praying enough. It's not by keeping the laws of God. It's not by any deed that we are saved. It is purely by His mercy. It's by His grace that we have been Save. Paul makes it clear here that there is no work that we can do that can save us. And the only reason that we will be saved is by the sovereign work of God in an unbeliever's life. And really, that's going to be our focus this morning, is how God moves to save someone. The biblical definition is, the biblical word is called regeneration or the rebirth. And so that's really what we're going to look at. And it's the end part of that verse 5, which says, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit. When we think of God and salvation, we often think too narrowly. We think maybe of that it's just Christ or it's just the Father sending His Son, or maybe it's just the Holy Spirit that's giving us that rebirth. But really, Scripture testifies that all three members are at work in salvation. All three members are at work in bringing lost sinners to salvation. The Scriptures teach teach that the Father elects, that He gives a people to His Son. The Father also sends His one and only Son. And that Son, Jesus Christ, he, He works in redemption by living the life that we couldn't live, living that perfect life that will, when we are saved, be accounted to us, and also dying the death, dying that perfect sacrificial death 
So his life, he's given it as a ransom for many. Then the Holy Spirit works in salvation by applying that redemption, applying that work of Christ to all the people that the Father has given the Son. So in short, the Father gives the people to the Son. The Son dies a perfect death for those people. The Spirit then regenerates or gives new life to those people that the Father gave the Son. And that's all based on the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So today we'll look at the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. We'll work, we'll look at His regenerating work in our sinful hearts. And then the renewal that comes from that. So what is regeneration? As I've already said, it, to, to give it a biblical definition, it's to be re- reborn. It's to be born again. It's to be born anew. It's to be born of God. To be born out of the kingdom of this world and to be born into God's kingdom. And it's a creative act. It's, it's as if God said in the beginning, right? In Genesis 1, let there be light. He says inside of a dead man's heart, a, a sinful heart, let there be life. And he creates spiritual life within us. It's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. And so to, under, to understand the new birth, we must look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1, you don't have to, but if you want to, you can turn there. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a high-ranking Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin being the high-ruling assembly of the first century Jews. Nicodemus, many believe that he was the teacher of Israel. That is, that he was the highest ranking teacher. And this teacher, Nicodemus, he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about the miracles that Jesus is doing. He's heard about the teachings that Jesus has, those teachings with authority. And so he comes to him by night to meet with Jesus. And I think John, the author of the Gospel of John, makes sure to tell us this for two reasons, why he comes by night. One would be to come by cover. He's ashamed that he's coming to Christ. He's fearing his co-Pharisees, those other Pharisees that are most likely hostile towards Christ. He doesn't want them to know that he's coming to speak to Jesus because they would deal harshly with him. And so he comes by night, in cover of night, so that no one will know that he's coming to speak with Jesus. Secondly, John uses this imagery here to tell us the state of Nicodemus the state of his heart, that he is still apart from saving faith, that he is in darkness, he walks in darkness. While he might be a brilliant teacher of the law, maybe the teacher, the best teacher that Israel has to offer, he is still lost. He can know all this stuff about the Scriptures, all this stuff about God, but he is still in his sin. And it's only by the rebirth, as we will see, that he can come to the light, from the darkness to the light. So, there in verse 2, we read what Nicodemus has said to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless you, unless God is with him. So, Nicodemus knows that Jesus is a teacher from God because he sees the miracles. He sees the evidence of the miracles, and he knows that miracles come from God. These signs and wonders, they have to be from God. Obviously, Satan is the father of lies. He's the author of delusion. And so true biblical miracles have to come 
from God. And so he knows that Jesus is a teacher and he knows that these signs have accompanied him and it's authenticated that he is truly a prophet from God. And so Nicodemus believes Jesus is from God, but he doesn't know exactly who Jesus is. And so he's come to try to figure out exactly who this Jesus is. And Jesus responds to him in verse three by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says to Nicodemus that he thinks he knows who Jesus is. He thinks that he knows things about God. He thinks he, he's some great teacher of the law. But Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot know, you cannot see, you can't know anything about the kingdom of God. And so he's not saying, Nicodemus, you're close. You almost got it. He says, you need to be completely reborn for you even to see the kingdom of God. So this teacher, this so-called righteous man, the, the highest ranking member, he's way far away from the truth, from even seeing the kingdom of God. And Jesus is speaking of the spiritual rebirth, that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is what Nicodemus needs. Nicodemus responds to Jesus saying, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is truly confused. And maybe he's being sarcastic. Maybe he's being a bit crass. I don't know why he responds this way. Like, are you serious? Can one, can a man that is old be born again? That doesn't make any sense. He's thinking of the physical. Jesus is speaking of the spiritual. And so Nicodemus says, how could this be? How could a grown man be born again? Is he going to go back inside of his mom and be born? That doesn't make any sense. So Jesus responds to him saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus doubles down. He says, unless one is born of water and spirit, they can't enter the kingdom of God. And so like our verse in Titus, many have seen throughout history, baptism in this verse here, in John, there it says washing in Titus. Here it says that you must be born of water. But we know, we just talked about it, that it's not by any work of righteousness that we would be saved. No, baptism is not going to save you. That's not what Jesus is saying. And we know from Scripture, it testifies over and over again that it's by the mercy of God, it's by the grace of God, it's by our faith in the Son of God. It's by, Jesus will say later in this gospel that it's through belief in Him that we are saved, a saving trust in him. And so why, what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus when he says you must be born of water and of spirit? Well, he's trying to give Nicodemus some clues on what he is talking about. Being a teacher of the law, knowing that Nicodemus would have a large knowledge of the Old Testament, that he'd be well-versed in all of the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus is bringing his attention to a specific Old Testament text. A scripture that explains how God works in the hearts of the unbeliever. How God works in regeneration. Ezekiel 36 is what Jesus is trying to bring to mind in Nicodemus' mind. Before we read Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, I want you to hear how many times you hear God say, I will. You know, too often when we think of salvation, too often when we think of 
being born again, we put too much emphasis on what we do. We put too much emphasis on man when it is an act of God. It is by the mercy of God. It is by His saving grace that we are saved. So listen to these words in Ezekiel. It says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He draws Nicodemus to this verse, to the attention of Ezekiel. And what he's wanting him to see is the dramatic work of God in regeneration. That being a teacher of the law, he should have known this, known these things. We actually see that later on in that, that John chapter 3, that he says, you're a teacher and you don't know these things? That this is how God works in the unbeliever's life. He sprinkles that clean water. It's a, it's a metaphor for being cleansed by God the Holy Spirit. He says you will be clean from all your, your sin, from all your filthiness, from your idolatry, from your worshiping what God has made rather than God. And He will give you a new heart. He will replace that heart of stone. You know, the heart is the center of our being. It's who we are. And as unbelievers, we are prideful. We are self-willed. We are in love with ourselves. We are hard-hearted. We have hearts of stone. And so through that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, before the rebirth, He takes that heart of stone out gives us a heart transplant. He gives us a new heart. A new heart of flesh. A soft heart that can hear the things of God. And so He will put a new spirit within us. He will put His spirit within us. He will cause us to walk according to His ways. As we hear this, there is no doubt that we must all be born again. As Jesus has said, we will not even see the kingdom of heaven. And it's God who must do it. Ezekiel 36, John chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, we see that it's God who does it. We see the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. And it's only by His work that it must take place. There we also see the cleansing work of the Spirit, that there's a a washing that takes place. A cleansing, a a cleansing from all of our unrighteousness. The Spirit renews us. He creates us anew. We cannot make ourselves clean. We cannot make ourselves born again. This is not something we can do. I said earlier that it's a creative act. I can't create something in you. You can't create it in me. It's not something that we can do. God must do it. And as Paul said, it's not by our work, it's by God's work that we are regenerated and renewed. And Jesus basically says the very same thing in John chapter 3, verse 6. He says, that's what's born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. The flesh is the flesh. It can only give birth to more flesh. All we can ever do in the flesh is just do more flesh like things. We can even have children that are in the flesh. All the flesh can ever create is more flesh. 
It is only the Spirit that gives life. It's only the Spirit that is Spirit. And so, it's only by the act of God that we can be born of the Spirit. So how does that of the flesh become that of the Spirit? How do those that are described there in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, that said we were once foolish, we were once lost, how do, how do those people become of the flesh? How do they become of the Spirit? Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. How are those who are dead become those of the Spirit? It only can happen through the regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit. It can only happen by those being born again, born out of the flesh and into the Spirit. So, oftentimes we look at the, Spirit, the, the Scriptures, we see the stark language that it uses when it comes to the condition of man, to our sinfulness. And maybe we even want to give God some pushback. I don't see myself as bad as the Scriptures lay out. But God uses this language purposefully. Because whether we like it or not, it is who we are apart from Jesus Christ. As he said to Nicodemus, apart from Christ, we can't even see the kingdom of God. Apart from Christ, we can't enter into the kingdom of God. We are blind, it says, other places in Scripture. We are lost, as it says, in other places in Scriptures. Roman 8 tells us that those in the flesh are hostile towards God. Ezekiel 36 just said that we have hearts of stone, hard-hearted, with self-love and pride, Romans 3 tells us that there are none good. And as I just said in Ephesians 2, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. There in Romans 3, it says that there are none righteous and that none seek after God. You know, we tend to think in our modern day that people seek God. That there are, there's people out there that are kind of seeking God. And so you might have even heard of the term seeker-friendly church. A church that desires to be somewhat worldly to attract unbelievers who might be seeking God. And they're hoping that if they make their church somewhat worldly, that these people seeking God will come into their church. But the Bible describes no such person, and it also describes no such church. Instead, what we see in Scripture is that we are running from God in our sin. We don't want to find the holy God. We don't want to find the one who exposes our sinful nature, who exposes how truly evil we are. We want to run the other direction. The last thing an unbeliever does is seek after the holy God. He would seek after the one who would make him realize that he is unclean. In fact, if we believe someone is seeking after God they are most likely seeking God for what God can give them. They want nothing to do with the God of the Bible. They want nothing to do with the God that's revealed to us in Scripture. They want nothing to do with the holy God that reveals their sin. Instead, what they want is, God, make my life better. God, fix my problems. So I'm going to go to a church that preaches about how God will fix all of my issues in life. So this is what we see when we see someone seeking after God. What they're doing is they're seeking after what God can give them. If they were to be confronted with the biblical God, they would want nothing to do with Him. And so, in fact, the only ones that truly seek God are those who have been born again. 
That's what we're doing here this morning. We're seeking to know more about God. We're seeking to worship Him. We're seeking to bring glory to His name. We're seeking Him. That's a characteristic of a believer, not an unbeliever. And so I believe that God has chosen this, this terminology that we can might think might be harsh. Like, God, why do you speak about unbelievers this way? Well, it's true, one. And also, secondly, that we would see the hopelessness of an unbeliever. The hopelessness of someone apart from Christ to save themselves. We would see from Scriptures that it's only God that can create new life. That a sinner left to themselves will only ever sin. They'll never depart from their sin. They'll continue to go back to it. But God can take those sinners that the Bible says are dead, spiritually dead, and He can bring new life to them. And only God can take what is of the flesh and make it spiritually alive to God. Only God can give us eyes to see. Only God can give us ears to hear. And only God can save us. And, you know, truly, it is a mystery to us. We all know this to be true. We say things about people in our lives. They say, we say, well, they said they believe. They said they were a Christian. But they really don't live like it. You know, they don't really like the Word of God. They don't pray. They don't, they don't come to ch- church. I, they don't live at all like a Christian would live. I really don't know if they know the Lord. They say they do. Maybe that prayer they prayed, it didn't stick. It didn't take. I don't know what's going on. That's because there's no formula that saves. There's no, there's no magic that can save. There's no superstition that you can do to save yourself. It's a sovereign act of God. And as Christians, we go to the Scriptures, and the Scripture says that we preach. The Scriptures say that, it, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Scriptures say that the Gospel is the power unto salvation. The Scriptures say that We as Christians must be faithful to give the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell them who He is, to tell people that they're sinners in need of a Savior. But as the old adage says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that is the absolute truth. We might wonder why people who say they're Christians, there's absolutely no change in their life. They've, They've prayed the prayer. They've even emotionally said all the right things at times. There's obvious evidence in their life, whatever it may be, that shows otherwise. It's because only God can give them that new life. And we all know this to be true. That's why we pray the way we do. We don't ever say, God, please help them pray the prayer. What we say is, God, please save them. Save that unbeliever in my life. Save that. Save my family members. Save the people that I love, God. I don't want them to go to hell. Would you please change their direction in life? Would you please, God, save them? This is how we all pray. We know that it's of the Lord. We know that it's only God that can give this new life within someone. And so we ask Him for it in our prayers. Jesus tells us that in John chapter 3, verse 8, that it is a work of God. And it's a mystery to us as Christians. He says there that the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he compares this Holy Spirit of God to the wind. 
Let me explain. We walk outside and the wind is a mystery to us. Some days it's blowing right in our face. Some days it's blowing this direction and that direction. Some days there's no wind at all. Other days there's just a ton of wind. And we don't know why. Why does it come? Why does it, why is it here today? Why is it gone tomorrow? So he says the same thing about the Holy Spirit. That sometimes the Holy Spirit saves a bunch of people. Sometimes there's true conversion when the pastor preaches. Other times he can preach for hours and no one will desire to come to God. But like the wind, the Holy Spirit comes as He pleases, comes as He wishes. It's in His timing. It's according to His will. It's nothing, it's not by anything we can do. We are at the mercy of God. Just exactly as Paul said in Titus chapter 3. It's not by our works, but it's by His mercy. It's by His washing, regeneration, and renewing the Holy Spirit. And so, I don't want you to... What I'm not saying is this. You know, as Christians, as people that hear the Word of God, we have the responsibility to choose to follow Christ. We have the responsibility to cling on to Jesus Christ in faith, to trust in Him for our salvation, to trust in Him as our only hope in life and death, and to never depart from the faith. To repent often of our life of sin, to repent of those sins that that keep coming up in our lives, to to live lives that are according to God's will. That is our responsibility, and it's incredibly important. But, but what the Bible teaches is that no one will do that unless God first acts in their life. That what the Scripture teaches about regeneration is that first God has to open our eyes. That He has to act on the unbeliever who has a dead heart that left to his own will, left to his own freedom, will only ever choose to sin will do what he loves most, which is sin. And so when God brings the new life, he brings that regeneration to our hearts, it, it causes us to have new affections, new desires, and to chase after him in faith. To, to repent of the idolatry that we've lived our entire life. But first, it starts with God. And that's why we say it's all of God. It's God who saves. So yes, men, we, men, women, we all work, we all have responsibility. But God is the one who starts everything. He puts everything into motion with his regenerating work. So regeneration, it's being born of God. It's being born into his kingdom. It's, it's the very beginning of the new life that we experience in Christ. Oftentimes we say that we think that being born again is the new life. It's not. It's the beginning of the new life. It's what brings the new life to the unbeliever. And so here in verse 5, we see Paul go on to use the word renewing. He talks about a renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's the exact same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We all are pretty familiar with that verse. It says there, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That verse there is really speaking of Holy Spirit's work in our minds. Through the study of God's Word, through sanctification, through this progression, our thoughts 
our, the way we think is not conformed to the world, but it's conformed to God's way of thinking. It's the renewing of our mind. And it comes through, as I said, a study of God's word, the spirit of God leading us into all truth. And it's a progression. That is, it happens over time. It's not an overnight thing. It just doesn't happen in an an instant. It's from one degree to the next. The renewal that Paul is talking about here in Titus is similar to that type of renewal that's talked about in Romans 12, but it's a little bit different. It's positional, not progressive. So let me explain that. So there's a biblical doctrine called sanctification. We might all be familiar with it. What's it mean? It means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be a set apart people of God, his holy people, his church, his priesthood, his treasured possession. To be sanctified. Sanctification has three aspects. Positional, progressive, and final. Let me explain. Positional is who we are in Christ. Our position before Christ. Progressive is our day-by-day changing from one degree of glory to the next. The conforming us into the image of His Son. And then final sanctification is our glorification. When God finishes the good work that He started in each and every one of us. These are the three aspects of sanctification. And so when we say we are positionally sanctified, which is what Paul is talking about here in verse 5, he's saying that we've been renewed. When we're positionally sanctified in God's eyes, that is that we are at that moment set apart for Him. That we are His people. That we are cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we'll continue to sin, but in God's eyes, Based on the perfect work of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed from all of our sin. From all of our unrighteousness, we are declared clean. We are spiritually renewed. We are spiritually cleansed. We are spiritually cleansed by the justifying work of Jesus Christ. So how can God call an ungodly people His people? How can He call those who are unclean by nature clean? It's only on the basis of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. It's by His perfect blood, His perfect atonement, His perfect sacrifice that God can take a people that are not His people and call them His people. And we know that the holy God cannot have a people that are not holy. And so He must have a holy people. And so He calls us holy. We are holy because we are in Christ who is our head. And so... Our renewal, it's rooted in Christ. It's our position in Christ. It's who we are in Christ. Now, what has happened positionally for each and every one of you will lead to transformation. It will lead to a progressive transformation that will work itself out in your life. And so this is God setting in motion what will take place throughout the believer's life. It's the good work that we hear about in Philippians 1, that he who started a good work He'll be faithful to complete it. You know, he doesn't breathe new life into dead sinners to just abandon them to be spiritually dead once again. No. He says those who he started a good work in, he will see it to completion. So, finishing up. The Bible explains regeneration or the rebirth as a radical change change in nature from dead to life 
And that's what takes place within a person. The Bible explains it from, from a wicked sinner to a repentant believer. To one who is hostile towards God. To one who desires to live for God. I myself have had a similar experience in my life. I once walked away according to the ways of the world. I, I lived a wicked life. I was dramatically transformed from the inside out by God, the Holy Spirit. I can't can't explain it any other way other than God. He changed me. He saved me. And it was a radical change in my life. It was definite. I know the time, the hour. I know when it happened. But I must say that this is not necessarily the experience for all Christians. While everyone who is a true Christian is born again, not all Christians experience a radical conversion to Christ. But I assure you that if you are a child of Christ, you have been born again. And so, the only way as believers to really know if we've been born again is to look at our lives, to look at our motives, to look at our thoughts, to look who we are as a person in Christ. Who are we? It's the evidence in our life that shows the rebirth. So, if we look at Scripture, sinful man is that. It's sin, sinful man. Paul has just laid out some characteristics of the unbelieving world. They're foolish, disobedient, they hate, they're hateful. They don't, they don't love God's people. They don't love one another. They don't carry one another's burdens. They go after their lustful passions. They're lovers of sin, lovers of self. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They don't seek after God. They're running away from God. They don't love God. But those who have been born again, those who have been transformed from the inside out, are now being trained by the grace of God as we learned about in chapter 2. That that grace of God that has appeared is now training us to renounce ungodliness. It's, It's training us to renounce those former lives, to live differently than the world. Those who are born again will have fruit in their lives of this transformation. That fruit will look like the fruit of the Spirit of God, as we find in Galatians 5. And these things that we see in Scripture are not natural to fallen man. Paul has told us what the fruits of the flesh are. They're evident. They're right here in this this Scripture. It's evident to see when you love yourself over others and over God. Fallen man gratifies the flesh. He lives for himself. He loves his sin. He's not convicted of sin. You know, the very fact that you're convicted of your sin is an evidence that God is at work within you. The unbeliever cares nothing about sin. Why would he care what Jesus had to die for? They don't hate their sin. They don't desire to do what God wills. They don't desire to do the things of God at all. They don't commune with God. They don't know God. They don't read His Bible. They don't love His Word. They have no love for the biblical Christ. And really, what Scripture says is by nature, they can't. By nature, they can't love God because they love their sin. They love themselves. So the one who's born again is different. He's being renewed. He is renewed by the Holy Spirit, and he's being renewed. He's empowered to walk in a newness of life. He's empowered by God himself to walk differently than the world. 
and his desires will become start to become more like God's desires. He will think God's thoughts after him. He will begin to manifest those fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And as I said earlier, this is unnatural to fallen man. It's not natural for us to do the things of God. It goes against our nature to do the things that God would want us to get to do. They will have affection for Christ. And listen, none of this is perfect. I'm not, I'm not saying that you will know you're a Christian because there will be perfect evidence in your life. But I will ask you some questions. Are you a child of God? Have you been born anew? Is there evidence in your life of a new birth? Do you love the things of God? Do you love the ways of God? Have you ever, have you noticed that you have new desires, new affections to live a life that pleases God? Do you hate your sin? Do you love the commandments of Christ? Or are they burdensome to you? Do you love His Word? Do you, do you love the fact that the Spirit of God is leading you into all truth? Do you love His truth? Do you seek Him for Him? Do you seek Him to find that He is the treasure? Are you looking for what He can give you? Do you desire, do you desire to glorify God in your life? Do you desire to see Him honored in your life? Do you have any affection at all for the biblical Jesus Christ? You know, the biblical Christ, the one that we read of in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is offensive to the world. The world doesn't love him. The world doesn't want to hear about him. The world really twists his word, makes him something that he's not. We know that his words were hard, and they caused division because they are so hard at times. That his truth cuts. His truth transforms. It's not an easy truth to hear. And so, a love for the biblical Jesus that's revealed to us in Scripture is only something that God can give. The world, by nature, hates Christ. R.C. Sproul once said, if you have any love at all for the biblical Jesus, that is an evidence that you are born again. Any love at all. As I said, the unregenerate, those who are running away from God, have no love for the biblical Christ. The sheer fact that you can say that you love Jesus as he has revealed himself to us is an evidence that the Holy Spirit has quickened your soul. He has given you new life. You might say in hearing this, well, if this is all of act of God, if God is the only way to be born again, how is one to ever be born again? And as I said earlier, there's no magic formula. There's no necessarily how-to. People have written books, how to be born again. I mean, how can we do what only God can do? There's no how-to. As John MacArthur says, all we can do is ask. This is all we can do. All we can do is come to him and say, God, please save me. Change my wicked heart. Take it out. Give me a heart of flesh. Please, God, I beg you. You know, if this is not you, if you're not a Christian, Take no time, and no rest. Whatever you do, get alone with God and beg Him to save you. Cry out to Him to change you forever. And we know from Scripture that our God is a saving God. And those who come to Him, He will by no means cast out. He will save.